just a brief word of warning that the following episode will contain light-hearted discussion of topics relating to faith and religion. So if that is not your cup of tea, go ahead and give this one a miss. Welcome to the Vassals of Kingsgrave and welcome to Creature Chat, a podcast series where we discuss all manner of creatures. And today we are going to talk about demons. Please allow me to introduce myself. I am a man of wealth and taste. Some of my names are Shellfish and Peter, but of course those are not my true names. And today I am joined by Sarah. Hey, it's Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Blood. And Jock. Jock, Jock on the forums as well. And Adam. This is Adam, also known as Drown Snow. And Zach. Hi, this is Zach, also known as Alias on the various hell planes of the internet. And Kat. Hi. <laughs> Would you like to tell us some of your other names besides Kat? Oh. As we all know, names have power. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, Cat history two four six zero one on the Discord. Two four six zero one. Is there a special significance to these numbers? It's the number of the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, that's appropriate then. Very well, and. We are also joined by Patrick. Hello, my name is Patrick, also known as the Tall One, and my my uh, my demon aspect is Vikingness. I think. Oh, the ravenous Northmen come to despoil and defile our lands. Very good, very good. So we are here on Creature Chat talking about demons today, and. As we all know, a demon is is uh, what what is it? Please describe a demon to me. Tell me what it is. Should we start with the, the cliche? If you have cliches to share with us, please please do so now, Patrick. Okay. So normally I would visualize myself a red-skinned, winged, horned, semi-humanoid. Uh, creature, uh, usually uh, encompassed by fire. So a red, uh, red a human creature that has some animal characteristics such as wings and paws. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, obviously that is very much the the stereotypical, most common idea when you when you hear the word demon, you think that. But for me. I think in in more sort of Lovecraftian sort of Cthulhu-y terms, like lots of tentacles and just something totally monstrous and disturbing. And of course, the the interesting thing about demons is that's just one of many ways you could view them. They're not necessarily evil-looking or monstrous-looking. They could have a facade of looking very lovely, possibly. There's a lot of different ways that you could see them. But yeah, that's that's typically what I think when I, when I think of demons. Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I like to imagine they look like a character in a Peter Jackson film. 
Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> what, what, like Peter Jackson? Do you have a character in mind from a Peter Jackson film? Yes. Just, you know, lots of pustules and, you know, shit where it doesn't belong. Oh, lots of <laughs> gray and pustules. Yeah, like the goblins in Goblin Town in The Hobbit, like those. Uh, Peter Jackson went really all out on those, I guess. Yeah, I think the horns are also kind of a fairly universal um, theme across a lot of different cultures and mythologies. Not always. Yeah, they sort of become a symbol for things. like, like, uh, like that having horns might make me that you're evil. Like, as opposed in contrast to angels, like wings and horns are like those two things. That if you have like that stereotypical depiction of the angel and devil on your shoulder, it might be like in Donald Duck or something. It's gonna be Donald, but the angel has wings and the uh, the devil Donald has horns. So yeah, I guess the horns are a big sort of touchstone on that. And and a and a pointed tail if it's the uh, the Disney version. Yeah, obviously the tail as well. But is that tail though? It's kind of has that like. Um, like kind of a heart-shaped end to it that isn't necessarily any kind of real creature that has that kind of tail. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the um, characteristics that unites the different forms. And I definitely agree with the fact that like there are you know a million different ways to picture demons, but um, especially in Western European tradition, one of the things that set demons apart um, because they were masters of illusion, but they always or almost always had something that was a little bit wrong um so you know whether it was like a hybridization of multiple creatures or um just a feature that was a little bit out of place they always have this kind of tell that um they're not quite what they seem and some of that comes from um again at least in in western tradition like an unwillingness to um to recognize that they might actually have the the full powers of God. So they're somewhere in between um, where their capabilities exceed those of humans, but um, they can't they can't quite rival the divine. Um, and that's that's related to their right. Like they're they're more than humans, but lesser than humans, right? Yeah, they're sort of like what Zach said about sort of like a writhing mass of tentacles. So that's sort of like very Cthulhu-esque, eldritch mm -hmm. type of creature, and that. Uh, I guess I can sort of draw a bridge between that and the types of demons that are depicted in some sort of like medieval and later manuscripts or illuminated Bibles of demons. Like they are often these very chaotic looking like surreal where they have faces on all over their bodies and they're like these like shifting forms that don't really make any sense that it's kind of like you're looking at chaos and you can't really like grab a hold of it. It doesn't look right like they have faces in their crotches and on their bellies and like so many yeah. eyeballs everywhere yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I think that that's I think that you put it perfectly Peter like I think that they in that tradition and, and in that sort of aspect are meant to be the visual representation of everything that is opposite of God's order in the universe so everything you know is where it should be and everything's separate and everything's distinct and then when you when you imagine a demon or when you you know create a demon in your imagination that they are the opposite, as much the opposite of that as can possibly be represented in in artistic or human terms. But there's also the uh, the idea of of someone attaining demonhood um, through through being cast out from the light of God. 
and they don't necessarily I don't know get depicted as these chaotic uh, triple quadruple mouthed uh, things so so there might be something else there if we if we keep so within that idea would that be like depicting lucifer as a very beautiful sort of sort of a human like ethereally beautiful human exactly that could be one or yeah maybe not just maybe not uh, necessarily beautiful but but somehow off it's there needs to be some sort of show that this isn't this this person is off or dark or something but i don't think necessarily it's it's only that they are chaotic beings in the self and then the depictions show that necessarily i think also there's a just a maybe a fascination in general just with demons at some point that arrives that makes them less of uh, un understandable creatures but just more than than people as someone said i'm picturing the um blake illustrations of lucifer where he's this sort of oh, like the red dragon yeah exactly like this stunningly tragic alluring mysterious figure mega chad yeah exactly mega chad. <laughs> this is for the mega chad <laughs> the cosmic chad um yeah but he's he's sort of the Bro, god just shut down our party that's all almost like almost like vampiric right that there's this dark allure that starts to emerge in um especially like romantic you know sort of with a capital r like the romantic period where um he becomes this figure of um yeah like almost almost irresistible beauty um but that there's that sinister core still um and that that draw yeah there's certainly that that strong element of of demons being that that thing that tempts you that that sort of typical um negotiation of the binary of being good being evil and not wanting to fall prey to sort of those those um frail human weaknesses or animal temptations that we have and i think we'll get into all these concepts more but a lot of the ways to depict that aren't just showing something monstrous but showing something appealing um and in some ways that is the sort of illusion that you mentioned sarah that it it hides that it hides that darkness underneath yeah and also there's a theme underneath where usually it's like uh, the person that wants to you know allure you is relatable somehow like they tell their story about how they're cast out or how their love was spurned and and now that's their motivation they sort of at least some the, the more modern demons seem to all have some sort of motivation towards wanting to you know attempt people to do bad stuff um so yeah that's also a thing I mean, I think it's I think it's important to recognize because we do. I mean, already in this discussion, like we've had so much slippage between, um, you know, whether they're frightening, whether they're alluring, whether they're. And I think that one of the the most important things about demons, um, you know, transculturally is that they are useful in a lot of different ways in terms of, um, you know, laying out morality systems where they can be a deterrent. Um, or they can be, you know, the kind of the cautionary um, temptation, right? So we can have them as just these horrifying creatures where you look at them and you're like, oh man, I, I don't ever want to meet one of those or I don't ever want to have anything to do with it or I don't you know, want to go to hell and be burned alive for eternity by one of them. And it's mm. this very straightforward sort of um, 
yeah, like deterrent, right? That that you, you know, you just don't want anything to do with them. And then on the other side of that, there's, um, I would say like the, the more beautiful aspects or the more alluring aspects are, are possibly more of an acknowledgement that there is a temptation there and that there is, like, as we were saying, that this human nature that kind of yearns for or tends toward the kind of like freedom that um, the, the alluring demonic might offer. Yeah, that's also yeah. like something alluring and attractive in a strange way in the grotesque and evil and and horror and blood and all torture and all that kind of stuff like i think this is a point that stephen fry made in some sort of talk he gave that in those sort of old religious paintings that that would depict heaven and hell that heaven would be kind of like okay yeah there's there's like heaven and angels and harps and clouds and okay that's all nice but then the depictions of hell would be much more detailed and it would be like very, very detailed about all the sorts of torments people would go through and all the different monsters that the artists really took their time drawing out those details in the paintings. Yeah, absolutely. So now we've talked a bit about the Christian and maybe all the uh, yeah Western-esque demons. Um, if we move over a little, I think there's I think another could, aspect. Uh, I could go back in time instead of uh, moving geographically. I'd like to talk about like the very origins of this, like as we usually do, like if we think about that hunter-gatherer past of tribal human beings or like whatever state of nature we might have had that. Do you think that those uh, very early humans told stories of demons? Well, that that actually brings me into what I was about to talk about a little because this is okay sorry act. if i stopped you but i wanted to wanted to go i, I, back, I, I, back I know i know it's, it's fine i just wanted to just saying that that the the third aspect that we uh, didn't really talk about is the ex explanatory aspect the the ones that ask that they explain the phenomenon phenomena uh, that might seem evil around us so it might be an evil spirit that uh, makes a crop fail or it might be what what goes into the 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 the, ma the, uh, the mind of a man when he chooses to kill another person. Um, yeah, so sort of clothing those abstract things into some sort of that formless menace into something with a form that can that you can throw sticks at and shake your fist at. I exactly, you can blame that for, for whatever bad happens. It's not necessarily a real person that's done it or yourself that done it you've you've been possessed or you uh, there's been an evil spirit in the crops not you didn't do anything wrong i well, think that that sense of plausible deniability may also be some of the allure too right where if you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know in, in the um early modern period there was a lot of discussion over whether mm. like people were basically faking being possessed or, or, you know, doing it for attention or doing it for a greater level of freedom than they would have within the strictures of um a very restricted society and, and social expectations. So if you're like, I can't help it, I'm possessed. I'm gonna scream in church and spit on you, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think um I, I go back to, to answer that question of whether they, they were telling stories about them. I go back to what, what Sarah said before, which is that idea that they have the idea, the concept of demons has so much utility to it, right? It's useful for the reasons that you just said. It can be used as a way to sort of um, shirk responsibility and say, no, a demon made me do it. It's useful to say, like, if there's some threat of something out there, you can say, you can tell stories of demons to create that fear, that sense of uncertainty that that helps to make sure that people do what they're supposed to do. And on the same side, like, it helps to tell stories about the the internal weaknesses, the internal concerns, and to say, 
and to say all these things about um, the threats of yourself and the things that you could possibly do. And I think that's why stories of demons crop up in all these different these different um, societies, these different religions, these different myths, be, even if they don't have any kind of like inherent synchronicity between them the same concepts reoccur because we kind of need these stories of the the different sort of many shapes of evil that can take that can take form and we use them to for all these different purposes yeah a way of allowing ourselves to be redeemable because it wasn't our fault in the first place but i mean i i think it's i think it's interesting to note just from an etymological perspective that demon in greek the daimon right was mm. not inherently evil it was a, a spirit or a you know a nature um deity somewhere in between gods and humans right so they've always had this kind of liminal intermediary status um and then the other the other iteration of it we see for example in plato um is the idea of like a personal um uh, kind of tutelary uh guiding spirit right so whether it's artistic inspiration or whether Jim it's, and a cricket um, Kind of, yeah, right? Like, Jimmy Crick is a demon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> but so this this idea that, yeah, that they're evil is a very, relatively speaking, is a late development. And I think that, you know, at the beginning, they were bad or good in the way, Patrick, as you were suggesting, that, like, nature is bad or good, right? Where, like, shit happens, but it's not out to get us. It's just what happens. Um, and I think and sort of like... I think this goes more into sort of fae and fairies, I suppose, but in some Finnish folklore, there's things like, like if you behave behave in a manner that you're not supposed to in a boat, the folk of the water will be upset at you and you might get a disease from that. And that is kind of like, I guess that's a idea that there's a spirit in nature that kind of punishes you for wrongdoing, but it's not necessarily like, I guess it puts the responsibility on you for like that you just shouldn't fuck with them. Not that it's like a devil that's out to get you always setting up snares for you, but you went in somewhere you weren't supposed to go and got sort of punished for it. Yeah. 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 I mean, if we go again, there's these other ideas in other cultures that sort of talk about the demons just being sort of an aspect of magic sort of anything magical or supernatural in a way what could be described as you know demon like we have uh, both in japanese folklore and we have in in the norse folklore these ideas of um uh, creatures that are um is supernatural hidden is one of the most uh, accurate ex um, aspects of them. They're like usually gnomes, always... house gnomes. House uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not house gnomes. But isn't uh, that kind of the same thing? Like in like like Greece and Rome, they since they were a sort of a very polytheistic religion that mm -hmm. they had all these sort of different gods for like the god of the boot. I think was one, and then there was like. Like this, you would have your household gods and kind of like mm -hmm. those might be tied to your ancestors as well. But sort of like that places and even objects would have their own little gods or mm -hmm. spirits that you would sort of pay homage to or kind of like, like, I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, a little. If you have Shintoism in J Japan, you would have a lot of different uh, nature spirits and oni, as as we might call them. Uh, and in general, if you want to be talk about monsters in general, yokai is the uh, proper, um, you know, way of pronouncing and saying that. Uh, but in in any case, um, if we go generally yokai, uh, it's it's monsters of any sort. And they're not necessarily demon-esque, but if you want to, if in modern terms you want to describe modern yokai, it would be it could be vampires, it could be anything, succubi. So in that sense, they can also encompass demons and maybe also things with a sinister twist to it. But in general, both in in uh, in the, the it's the it's the hidden magic that the that part of it is also what can be seen as as demonic and then later on christianity and stuff you might have given them physical form or in in japanese folklore you also so given them kind of like in saying that well, in english we have this saying that is there any virtue in a plant that it's sort of has some properties that are useful that would people have considered that certain plants or substances that have magical qualities that they would have like little tiny demons or little tiny spirits in them that were giving them those like properties. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I think that plants in general doesn't necessarily have a like like a, a willful spirit itself, but there might be some spirit that takes care of those plants with magical with healing abilities or something like that. That that could be a yokai that could take care of stuff. Uh, but I'm I'm talking more like if you would to begin with you have had the concept of something bad it and we start out thinking like we said before it could be the concept of a bad crop plague stuff like that that could be a concept that you have of something bad happening it was it's a hidden magical thing that happens you don't have any explanation for it therefore the it's blight yeah it's magic but at some point uh and and some say it's is when Buddhism came uh, in Japan, at least uh, there came ideas of a physical being encompassing the the magical effect. So it would be Oni in this sense that Oni, these troll like demons uh, were physical uh, personifications of bad things happening. And we have that also in Norse mythology with uh, um, Sutur, which is a sutur, a surter in uh, in in English, uh, this fire, a giant fire, Yudon, that basically is is like a Christian uh, influence, basically uh, the devil, demon, devil thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a really interesting pattern that you're that you're pointing out, Patrick. That like a lot of things that are more natural in the sense that they're just sort of around and um, I mean I, they're supernatural and, and I think that's one of the major distinctions between monsters in general and, and demons is that like they have this kind of extra level to them that they're they're sort of operating on a level above humanity um, but a, a lot of in a lot of different cases when a new religious influence comes in those um, indigenous inhabitants, those sort of indigenous spiritual creatures become 
demonized literally right so that you have yeah. this this transition from hey there are things out there to the things are out there and they're bad because they don't accord with this new religious paradigm that's coming in and i mean that's certainly what happens with the greek daimon um mm. and and it sounds like yeah that, that it happens with the shinto spirits as well um but i think that's a pattern that's that's pretty clearly established with that kind of um uh the substrata and the superstrata of religious belief that happens when when one um, belief system overrides another one. But there's also a cultural concept that gets integrated, like uh, um, the, the main uh, person that like fell down all the, the stories about Norse mythology is once Snorri Snorrason, uh, an Icelandic dude from a thousand years ago. And at that point, Iceland had become uh, Christianized, but he or he was Christian at least. So he was quite, you know, thorough in trying not to, um, you know, influence, let himself be influenced too much when he wrote things down. But it, as if if you see that these uh, that these areas, like if if you see that the area ha have already already been a bit Christianized, you can also think that. It would be easy to, in a religion like Norse, mytho uh, Norse mythology, to incorporate new demigods and de new devils, e evil things, to explain aspects that haven't been explained before. So uh, you get this cultural idea of a physical being uh, actually just being destruction and murder. That's just what that person is. It's not. That that we need sometimes you. So you said twice now that it's like that the that they weren't physical until sort of like they were demonized by an outside force. So do you mean to say that they were yeah. sort of like more like metaphors earlier yeah, or yeah, allegories more, for stuff? Yeah, more more like used as a cultural idea so, suddenly that came in from like another. That's kind of like in like uh, ancient Greek Greece, like they had all these different. Gods like psyche or hygiene and like those have become concepts for us later on that mm. uh, like were anthropomorphized as gods and goddesses earlier on and uh, well obviously all the planets as well. So that's kind of like the, these are things that we human beings do for things in the universe that we see something and okay what if that and we think like okay what if it was like a dude what would that dude look like well okay that planet is red he would he would be strong and like he would be like oh, a strong warrior yeah. yeah but but also a parallel to nowadays would be if you see something like a new idea like a new comic book in in the marvel universe that sort of tells things a bit differently maybe they lend something from a different story you think that's pretty cool that's now a part of my headcanon that's that's also like an idea that that it plays into at least Shintoism and Norse mythology because they were both quite like uh, welcoming to new ideas, like <laughs> uh, inclusive, might you might yeah, say. If it's a useful story to explain yeah. the world we live in, I guess you might include it in there, but kind of like maybe then it crept in and kind of took space from those earlier original beliefs and they have kind of atrophied because of that maybe, but I don't I mean, know. I think it's probably that happened with other religions before Christianity as well, but yeah, I don't know. Sorry. I think that there are two impulses that arise 
side by side whenever there's a, a meeting or a um, you know an overcoming of one social belief system by another one. And I think in part the concretization of these previously you know sort of accepted indigenous concepts um, makes it easier to appropriate them and shape them to fit into the new belief system. Um, so, you know, if you say like, okay, it's not just this abstract idea of like the land having these spiritual inhabitants that there's actually, you know, these little creatures with goat legs that kind of, you know, and oh, I don't like, it's easier to kind of wrap your head around as someone coming in from outside that belief system. Um, but it also, it makes them um, a kind of a useful shorthand where you can point to something that is already embedded in the culture and say, okay, you know how you think it's this? Well, in our system, it's really this. So you weren't totally wrong, but you need to think about it differently now that you've, now that you've incorporated into this other system. Um, so there yeah, is it's a, a sort of a translation, trying to translate your cultural aspects to another culture. Yeah, so there is a kind of, you know, a, an attempt to relate, I think, in some ways, or to understand, and we understand in many cases by simplifying. Um, but I also think that there is like a, a directed appropriation that happens where they're kind of taking away some of the power, you said, like diminishing um, by by making these concepts into creatures that are more mm. readily. Um, okay, I think we've been talking quite widely these last few minutes here about this could we kind of uh, zoom in on one of those those sorts of uh examples i you mentioned creatures with goat legs and that is obviously something that shows up often in demon depictions that that uh, these satyrs and the god pan in Gre greece and roman mythology that uh, i've often heard that that particular god was kind of used as the template for the sort of Western idea of the devil that we now have. So does anyone know anything about the relationship between Pan and the devil? I, I don't, but but I'm going to just jump in anyway. <laughs> um, I, I think that the interesting thing, as I understand Pan, which is little, um, but what I do, and I, I've read like the great god Pan, the, the sort of um, Victorian Gothic piece, um, and I, I know that. But I, I think for me, like last week, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but uh, what what I understood about that, and what I think is interesting about that as a concept and that as a as a thing is like this, and I think it's especially relevant at that time and how that was that story was being told at that time is like this idea of of again like coming back to the sort of use the utility of demons to kind of explain and to deal with our own kind of human bullshit that we have like the idea that that it this manifestation not just of evil but of madness and the sort of effort uh that we have just as we negotiate our the increasingly like bleak circumstances that we have at certain points in human history and how we handle that without just like going insane i think we need to sort of externalize this this like idea of madness and to make and it into a creature yeah, and just and that's like in a way a coping mechanism, right? Like that's a way to deal with like our own traumas, our own uncertainties, our own fears. We need to cr create this like we need to say like that is the source of all madness. I think like just that that distinction between the, madness and panic comes from as well. Yeah, yeah, pan and panic. Yeah, I mean, I I think just sort of <laughs> refreshing my memory a little bit. Um, that pan was 
um, sort of increasingly important in cultic religions. So like the, the kind of secret societies and um, religions that came around the advent of Christianity. And he becomes um, in that role or kind of in that, in that position, um, a useful and I think visually striking um, symbol of all the things that were swept aside when Christianity came into power. So this, I, I mean, I think that that's why the the visual um, echoes are there because he, he pan becomes this, like I said, like a kind of convenient embodiment of um, the the old order, the old belief systems that um, that Christianity supplanted. So it makes sense that. Um, you know, from a from a, a PR standpoint, that um, you know that ancient symbol would become the antithesis of everything that um, that Christianity was promoting. So I think that's where the the translation happens. So it might have been strengthened by that uh, sort of being sort of a rebellion against Christianity or resistance. That sort of like pre-Christian Greeks might not have held Pan in as high regard. Uh, being as important, I suppose. But yeah, but why goats? Why well, does the he have the goat mom. features? That I don't know. But um, from how I understand Pan, we actually know very little about him because he's super old. So a lot of the stuff that was relevant about him is lost. <laughs> so we actually it's don't all know over the place. What yeah exactly so he's a mystery to us not by design but um and yeah on the note of panic yeah he supposedly induced panic by screaming into the woods um i i don't know the deal with goats yeah, there's also some significance with his pipes that he's sort of like you hear the music and oh, you can like, yeah. go he, mad. Uh, yeah, he was um, chasing a nymph and turned her into reeds and turned the reeds into in instruments that he could put his lips all over. Interpret that how you want. Nasty. But, Interesting. Yeah, exactly. It's, but. When you get down to it, pretty standard Greek. <laughs> yeah, but what kind of behavior do goats exhibit that, like, well, or is it just that horns are impressive looking, or like? I mean, have you ever really looked at it? Like, they're so weird looking because they have the sideways pupil, yeah. and you just like, oh, they're they're just devils. I don't know. I mean, but there is something very striking about them where, like, I, I can't imagine ever having, like, a sheep demon because they're just kind of like, they got their own people. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, what's up? You know, but, like, the goat, you're like, oh, what do you, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's something visually very, very striking about, like, their eyes and, and um, they can be very aggressive. And, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think there's something to that. I, it's hard to, like, yeah. distinguish in my head, right? Because for us, like, the image of the goat is so associated at this point with sort of a demonic, a demonic concept, right? Like for us, like it's hard to like figure out which came first. Like, do we think goats look weird because we know them to be demonic because that's our, our cultural heritage or do we like, which came for, I don't know. Like it's hard to mentally figure it out. I guess they're kind of 
uh, liminal in that way that they can scream and sound very much like humans. So that might be some aspect mm -hmm. of That's it. Good. But I sometimes wondered about like the uh, metaphor of someone being horny when they are aroused or sexually uh, active and like if that might have something to do with like animals that go into heat that we human beings don't go into that like since stags and goats presumably and rams will behave very aggressively and kind of wild and crazy in those times of heat that that might sort of like be somehow tied to that especially how sort of like uh, sexuality is tied with the devil as well, at, as, at least in these sort of Christian discourses of it. Mm. Yeah, the, it, I definitely think that um, the Christianity sort of, <laughs> if you want to go to think about it as propaganda, they didn't didn't need to work on their image or at least um, make sure that they were still, you know, desirable in in as a religion because if if your religion were basically uh, if as as it were in in, your, in Europe if you're basically going to hell if you're doing anything sinful which is a lot of the things that people secretly enjoy to do um then well it doesn't seem very seem like it's very good religion where you have to feel bad bad about yourself all the time right uh but in other in like in greece and greek mythology you have like pan and you have dionysus who are gods of hunt and merriment and stuff like that people and enjoy sort of that excess and uh kind yeah. of decadence and kind debauchery, of yeah. Yeah, debauchery. Yeah. yeah that's that's the word i was looking for uh and, I mean, and yeah and as a horde of women who follow him around and are crazed so right that's it's actually an interesting example to bring up because it it's at once sort of like yeah that idea of frivolity and party and all that good stuff but also again madness like it's an, another example at least as we understand it now it's another um another case of like losing our sort of humanity in favor of this sort of like animalistic um just like loss of i don't know like consciousness yeah, the human will you like you yeah are like like lost is one of the seven deadly sins and like that is i think most people can know that uh lost can make you behave a little against your interests and kind of become crazy yeah. i mean there are a few different there are a few different aspects to dionysus in particular one of them is um sort of proto-orientalism right that he he comes from the east um, and travels back into, you know, sort of quote unquote civilized Greece um, mythologically to claim his birthright as the son of Zeus. But in the in the stories, he's represented as this foreign um, other who comes comes or comes back into Greece as this very, very um, disruptive, chaotic force. And so he's, um, for example, in Euripides, in Euripides Bacchae, like he is similar to what I was saying about the visual representations of the the hybrid demons later in um, medieval art, that he is the embodiment of everything that is not the civilized Greek state, right? So he's a challenge to um, authority. He's a challenge to gender roles. He's extremely gender fluid. Um, he's a challenge to um, hierarchy he's a challenge to the the distinction or the separation between nature and culture um he's sort of all of these things wrapped up into this um this extremely powerful extremely um cruel in many ways um sort of vindictive force that comes 
sweeping across. Um, he, he's Loki, basically. I, I think that's a I think that's a very reasonable comparison, except that he tends to. Um, it, I don't know. Yeah, no, I. I is he like a trickster in the same way that Loki is? Yeah, like the, he's he's much more um, overt, I think, than Loki is. Like he's much more overtly. Like he'll he'll say to someone, you know, you didn't accept my rules, so I'm gonna turn your life upside down, and and he does. Um, mm. But yeah. Well, Loki could be pretty avert as well. I think that that, that those are valuable again um, examples to the point that while I do think that like Christianity and these concepts sort of sharpened the need or this this idea of like having to be a very staid sort of unemotional human to be like a perfectly civilized being versus giving into your various sort of animal impulses and that becoming the binary of the sort of human versus the animal i think that's been a thing before that and it occurs across different mythologies and different cultures um and again like i think christianity sharpens that and i again i think that's probably why something like the goat was picked to depict um to depict evil, to depict demons. Yeah, I think um, you're right that those, those sort of themes are present in Greek myth as well, with these sort of like using these satyrs and centaurs and as sort of like uh, depictions of that animal side of us, definitely. Yeah, and that's not always bad. And maybe, again, Christianity made that seem more clearly bad than it was. And again, I think your your point about like the scream they make and how it's sort of human, I think that's interesting too, because like they're not quite animal also, like they're close enough that you have that kind of uncanny feeling um that they are sort of like us, which is an interesting thing too. And I think you get this sometimes with like monkeys as demons too and things like that. Oh yeah, definitely. Many demons uh are very monkey like like if you get like imps and or like like the scamps in Elder Scrolls, for example, or like those sort of lesser demons are often those sort of very monkey-like sort of like these, or you know, like salacious crumb in Jabba's palace in Star Wars, like that <laughs> cackling, like cackling, fucking monkey demon that's mocking you <laughs> at every turn. Like that's that good good demon archetype, definitely. I think I mean I keep thinking about that expression: sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell, and it's a like. I think from a from a very practical pastoral standpoint, and I will be honest that I have not spent a whole lot of time herding animals of various types, but my impression is that sheep will pretty much go where you want them to. And you can lead will, them to slaughter? Yeah, but and, and then goats will just do whatever the fuck they want, right? So like if you have a herd of sheep on a mountain, you're kind of like, hey, sheep, come here. And the sheep are like, I guess, you know, and they just <laughs> they just do what they need to do. But then if you have a herd of goats or you're, you're trying to have a herd of goats, like they still they operate in that herd structure. But individually, I think they're much more um, stubborn and, and kind of, uh, you know, willful, I guess, is maybe so. There's a sense too that like that individualism or that um, that free will is problematic or or potentially threatening to a more collective um, way of being. Yeah, yeah, but it's like it, the uh, the ghosts are really individualistic, uh, or more at least than than sheep, uh, which might be the reason why they go to hell. Uh, but but also if you want to just fun fact about goats uh, that they could also be used as like you know nannies and and feed uh, infants if the mother couldn't produce enough milk or, or weren't able to it but for some other reason uh so even though 
goats get a bad rap, they also get get used for for things that seem pretty natural and pretty mm, pretty good. Interesting, because I aren't like a lot of stories about like the Antichrist or something that they're born from a goat or isn't or a dog or something like that. Is that in the movie Omen? Maybe that like uh, there's like this devil child that was mothered by a goat or something like that, and that like they're they're evil because of that, and it's like a sign of their evil that they were born of a beast. The Antichrist is born by C-section in a lot of medieval sources, but I, I've never heard that. He's fathered <laughs> by the devil. Um, <laughs> okay. But, um, but in, right. a, in a, like, um, kind of situation. Yeah, Zeus was nursed by a goat, so there's that. Yeah, right. We have we have Amalthea, who's the, um, I think, the iconographic source of the Horn of Plenty, um, or the Cornucopia. Um, isn't there one, Kat, isn't there one in Norse mythology, too, that you were talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, the, yeah, Endless Mead. <laughs> oh, Lives yeah. On the the yeah. Oh, that's dope. <laughs> Milligan and, and the greatest thing about it is it was there when the gods arrived. So. Yeah, isn't that like hmm, something like that? The goat licked the giant Emir's head from the ice or something like that. Yeah. I seem to remember yeah. that. Yeah. Like that it was there at the beginning of creation that that the world was made from Emir's corpse, but the goat was yeah. there to lick. How does that work? But yeah, I guess it works. Well, it's like how do how do the children of Adam and Eve marry girls from the town over? You're like, I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> there was a town over. Like... <laughs> mm. Yeah, they were around a long time, and Adam and Eve kind of had some other families they abandoned once or twice, you know. <laughs> right, like. <laughs> Well, yeah, we still have the uh, we at the New Year's Eve we eat the uh, the horn of plenty, basically. You do? Yeah. It's eat a, it? Yeah, we eat it. It's a Danish tradition. We make it out of uh, pastry. Oh, it's a um, Danish. <laughs> oh, not not, <laughs> not a Dane, not date pastry like that. It's more like more like uh, Sorry, that's very culturally can. unsensitive. Apologize yeah, right now. That's, that is really. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I yeah no no it's 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 basically like a marzipan thing uh, sort of a Sounds sort of tasty. pastry dough it and it's really it's really good and you put it in layers and it is only the best cooks that make it make them like really big and large and then they put the glazing on top of them and and you know sometimes give them sort of patterns on and yeah sounds awesome and then you oh, fill them up with like marzipan tastes like shit though yeah. Oh, this, it's good, and it's good, it's especially good with the champagne. Yeah, sounds cool. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> unless anyone else has anything else to say about ghosts, I we could take another topic. Okay, so as we've done on a few of these episodes, I would like to ask if anyone can think of like foundational works uh, depicting demons that might have shaped our sort of cultural idea of demons like Dracula for vampires or none for werewolves I suppose that we found so that are there any 
books or movies or stuff like that for demons that sort of are very important in culture. I mean, they go, they go so far back on like a lot of these other things. It's kind of the issue. I mean, obviously the Bible um, in Western society, but um, ah, there's just so many. Yeah, in Japanese folklore, you have uh, Mumotaro, which is a peach boy, um, uh, which basically he's like his supernatural boy. And born. how old is this story, Momotaro? Uh, Momotaro is probably like 400 years old. Cool, cool. Uh, but yeah, it's basically this kid who travels and, and kicks the ass of a bunch of oni. And so you see oni in a, in a story and cultural uh, artifact. And from it's a weapon... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, interesting that you say 400 years, because that would be after... Like the Portuguese arrived in Japan, so I don't know if that there's something there. I don't know, but I, I would assume that there's, I mean, stories of oni and stuff before that. As far as, far as I know, uh, oni is uh, derived from uh, more like Indian influences, so maybe more like a Russian mm. Rakshasa. Yeah, Rakshasa. Like yeah. <laughs> so more like that instead. But yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out, like the the sort of broader Indo-European tradition is not my area, but um, there are the Rakshasas, Rakshasas and then also the um, the sort of like quintessential battle between the serpent and, and the hero, right? And I, I think that that gets incorporated into um, the, uh, the iconography as well. Like right? Egypt, Egyptian mythology or Babylonian? Yeah, in Egyptian mythology, and then um, uh, Indra and Virtra is like the one I think one of the oldest texts that we have on Earth. But um, it's Indra slew Virtra, um, and he freed the waters from the mountain by doing so. And he there are you know cows involved and, and things like that. But um, and Virtra is a demonic serpent. He is, yeah, he is a giant serpent. So there's it's it's you know it's a sort of proto example of the dragon slaying myth, but it's also I think. Um, you know, this this concept of order overcoming chaos again and this concept of, um, you know, the control over nature, civilization of nature um, and, and combat and this adversarial relationship, I think, is is one that um, gets brought forward in this idea of the demons as well, where it's not just that they exist, but that they're specifically existing um, in a confrontation or in an in an adversarial um, dynamic with the, the sort of higher deity. Um, oh, super interesting. So I think, yeah, I think that's probably one of the earliest ones that I can think of. Um, and then just from a, you know, from a, a European standpoint, I think that like the visual representations of the Inferno and the Last Judgment are profoundly influential um, in terms of like how we, how we yeah. visual, how we think about. Oh, you um, mean uh, Dante's books or? Um, the no, well, and the last judgment of those uh, paintings, or what works are you re referencing? Yeah, the so the the um the inferno, yes, Dante's work, but also I mean, it just sort of in general, like any kind of parish church or whatever would often have a representation of the last judgment, which would include the judging of the souls, a representation of heaven, and a representation of hell. Um, and so that representation of hell is relatively stable um you know obviously with artistic flourishes and and sort of patterns that develop but the idea of the central satan and and the various torments and things like that that we kind of picture those are very um 
those are very prevalent in um, in the Middle Ages, in like popular, you know, popularly accessible media as as um, paintings on church walls and things. Uh, what do you consider any of the monsters in Beowulf to be demonic in nature? No, they're bitter. Yeah, what? Sorry, what was that? They are bitter. Bitter. Uh, yeah, bitter. Uh, it's a basic a general term, just like yokai, a generalized term for anything. It's like a troll or like a yeah. spirit. Or Any, anything uh, supernatural that's not humans, basically, or animals. So uh, Grendel is um, explicitly called a devil, a daleful. Um, and they explain that he comes from, he's descended from the race of Cain. Um, after Cain was cursed and cast out, and the the structure, the mythological structure that um, underpins Grendel in this representation is the idea that the giants were descended, and and all of these kind of devilish creatures were descended originally from Cain, um, that they were the kin of Cain, um, and we don't know who Grendel's father is. Hrothgar explicitly tells us that they don't, nobody knows, nobody's ever seen him. Um, well, but, but we do know that his mother is Angelina Jolie, though. I will, hmm. I will fight <laughs> you. Oh, isn't, isn't, his, isn't his father <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> though? Yeah, well. CGI. Sorry, please continue. I will um, stop my shenanigans. <laughs> I mean, we don't need another depiction of it, because that's the, the, the most recent one, and, and that's what everybody Yeah, that's, that's canon. Yeah, that's yeah, canon that's, now. So I like I, that I, version. No. <laughs> what about uh what about like humbaba and gilgamesh is that do we consider that demonic in nature i think he's sort of an example of nature versus civilization maybe mm -hmm. but that would yeah be he's the guardian of the cedar forest yeah um, exactly yeah, yeah. so I, I think yeah that's a great example of like that kind of slippage between the the naturally monstrous the supernaturally monstrous and the the sort of symbolically monstrous or demonic where he is so, again this this position of adversary, um, I think is it's hard to tell like where a monster. So they're sort of like uh, physical threats and kind of challenges to overcome, but not necessarily like a corrupting spiritual influence like uh, devil or Satan has been later on. That's something that you have to fight within yourself as well, and who will try to tempt you and lead you astray. But it's more like a big monster you have to fight, as the Hulk says in Thor Ragnarok. Big monster. Maybe, yeah. but 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 if uh, <laughs> if Mesopotamia has Lilithu, right, Lilith, basically, uh, then that then we also get into the the area of succubi, right, uh, and incubi, and that that's temptation for sure. Yeah, they are. Maybe it's just sort of like having to resist those lustful urges within us. Kind well, I think what's interesting about about that as an example again is um, I think at that time, like when we're talking about gods, a lot of them like Mesopotamian gods, they're all kind of assholes, right? Like they're all yeah. terrible and they're the, right They're They're what explain the bad things. But in that case, it's not a binary thing, right? Where in Christian mythology or in Christian belief, like the bad thing is distinguished from the good thing. Whereas in that they're kind of all mixed together, which I think is an interesting comparison. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to contribute on this particular topic, but I think that that binarity um, comes in significant part from Zoroastrianism, right? Mm, that right, yeah, good and evil. Yep. Very, 
yeah, that explicitly binary dynamic that we get. Um, is that is their... is that the one where the evil god created us and the good god is trying to take us yeah, away from the demi- Earth? Yeah, the demiurge. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that so. one. <laughs> Isn't that sort of like that we're in hell right now? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Basically. I <laughs> knew it. I knew it. Fucking knew it. Um. But... So I think that about wraps it up then. No, no, that was no. We can it's, still it's, talk except, about more stuff. It's, it's, amidst our thing. eternal torment. Except for one thing, this uh, when we talk about literature, we have the idea of uh, sins coming back to haunt you in the way that uh, Alu, which is a under demon, is basically the bastard children of people who've been with Succubi. So if you had sex with someone who is tempting of some sort, maybe it's just a way of explaining why you have sex with the prostitutes or other people's wives or whatever. Uh, Then on your deathbed, the Alu will come to haunt you and sing you sing and bring you back. Take your take your divineness and then you will just be a ghost to haunt the world. So in that sense, if you want to go to the whole idea with with repercussion, moral repercussions for th- things you do. I think you, even Mesopotamia had ideas of that. So yeah, I think there's definitely something of a morality tale there that you laid out with the succubite that were kind of like that, like, as opposed to trying to keep people in their pants. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the, the succubus in, um, or the incubus in, um, like, the 1200s was, not like I don't know theologically or sort of in the in the church doctor debates like it wasn't as explicitly sexual as we think of it now like it kind of started out as you know people being mistaken or people misunderstanding a more physical phenomenon um and then it and then it took on this um the sexual aspect a little bit later um so originally it was understood more in like explicitly physiological or, or kind of medical terms as like an illusion or a misunderstanding. Um, and then later they used the same mechanism to explain how demons could reproduce because um, they were very uncomfortable with the idea that demons could actually reproduce themselves. So what they suggested was that um, they would steal semen from men as succubi and then they would change into incubi and use the seed that they had stolen to impregnate women. Um, so they were essentially like artificial, oh, artificial inseminators. Yeah. <laughs> so would that um, like, um, kind of like, would that be used to explain that someone was this was like devil spawn, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, like in witch trials and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That they had had, yeah, that they had had, um, you know, they were created by a demon or they were sort of generated at a demon's behest. And they would do that. Um, they would time it according to astrological influences. And, and so that like the person's horoscope would kind of predestine them to be an agent of chaos or evil on Earth. So like they, they were just like really, really well-timed artificial insemination that would create people who were naturally predisposed to being disruptive or problematic um, in ways that pleased them. Nephilim. Yeah, the Nephilim, the Nephilim are a really interesting um, example, too, of like this 
the sort of question mark around like demonic. So they're the giants from Genesis. Um, and we don't like the idea is that, or the, the thought is that the sons of God that the Bible describes might have been the fallen angels or might have been the angels. And that's part of, um, that's part of Grendel's genealogy and part of that Anglo-Saxon idea that all of the demons were descended from Cain um, was through that or from that passage that the sons of God lay with it's, the daughters uh, of men and created. Goliath also stated to be descended from that sort of bloodline. Goliath oh, really? in the Bible. I, I oh. was asking. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I thought he was a I, giant dude, but I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't know. I guess like from my own sort of more agnostic perspective, I find it really hard to imagine that like witch hunters or inquisitors who would burn people at the stake, that they would would like actually believe that the people had consorted with devils. And I usually kind of explain it away as kind of like this sort of a tool of sort of uh, crowd control, like trying keeping people scared and like uh, getting rid of political rivals and like people you didn't agree with and like that it was kind of bullshit that but uh, I don't know did people actually believe this stuff or was it more metaphorical or like were people really or a mix yeah you yeah. have to think you have to think that some of the people actually believed it and then maybe the people on the top or in at some higher point of the structure sort of used it politically instead those are people who are yeah, and you've got opportunists and you've got true believers. Yeah, and the uh, true believers are happy enough to travel around rooting out evil because that's a real true virtuous thing to do, right? While the uh, the opportunists will sit home and say, I think there's something evil over there. Maybe go do the holy work of God. I mean, I think yeah, and then you know, confirmation not bias comes in when you get there and like you see what you want to see and you know what you're expecting, right? Like, yeah. oh, yes, it turned out she was a witch, you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I wonder not to sort of primitivize earlier, earlier peoples and ways of thought, but I wonder how much more terrifying the world would have been if you didn't have an available alternative explanation, right? So, like, imagine that we lived in a world where you don't know what germs are and you don't even know that they exist and you don't, you know, things would feel so much more arbitrary and out of control and just terrifying. And I, I think that that, um, that human impulse to look for patterns or to, to find an explanation for something that seems inexplicable um, is a very powerful motivator. Um, and I, I mean, I can see how that would have evolved. Yeah, no, you would want to look for a scapegoat. Goat. <laughs> Goat. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably... Uh, all of you, Patrick, Adam, and Sarah answered my question quite eloquently. Thank you. Also, yeah. uh, just nature. Oh, uh, sorry, Kit, Kat. Just. Oh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, the whole germ theory thing that goes back to uh, John Snow and the Broad Street Pump, which is a thing. Yeah. The Great Stink. Yep. Well, I'm wondering uh, on these lines, like an interesting why for me to consider is now that we live in this modern sort of secular period where we have science, we have explanations, we have things that we can use to 
explain all the bad stuff why do we still like stories about demons like why do these still keep cropping up why do we still pay attention to these and why are we fascinated by them like what is the utility now do we still feel like we need them or is it just fascination well i mean people still believe in you know your afterlife heaven hell well, sure, yeah. you know sure, beyond but... beyond all this so that's it's all sort of you know in intertwined. well let's say that let's say like so i'm a person who doesn't i'll just say that and I still find these stories fascinating. So why do I care? <laughs> like, right? Like, what? What is my fascination with this? If I know it doesn't right. actually have any value, and I think it goes beyond like, that. It's good narrative. Like, what's the human attraction? Yeah, yeah. Even if I have all these explanations, like if I don't, again, like going back to, the, I find I find this so such a useful way to organize this discussion. Like what Sarah said about like needing demons for a sort of a utilitarian purpose mm. to explain stuff. Like, why do we still need them if we don't actually have that? that actual sort of need of them anymore like why do we still have them well yes, Sarah, what was that quote you quoted some time ago that animals are good to think with oh yeah it's a, a paraphrase of um claude levy who's a um structural anthropologist and he um he he says that animals what he says is animals are good to think um and it's usually quoted as animals are good to think with but basically yeah that like because they're ubiquitous and um you know very sort of readily accessible as like a thought category for human beings but they're also not us um it makes it very easy to impose meanings on them and use them as um tools for for thought and conceptualization yeah so demons are kind of like useful metaphors i guess like even in like zach i'm quite an agnostic person myself but I sometimes put some linguistic flourishes in my language that maybe have a sort of a religious connotation. And even in mainstream culture, I hear people talk about uh, like maybe an actor struggling with his personal demons with addiction or like uh, addiction or depression or something like that. And we use this word demon to kind of um, sometimes kind of mean internal struggles or difficulties with life or bad memories or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Zach, I, I think it's really interesting that you preface that question with the claim that we have explanations for everything now. And I, <laughs> I mean, I, I think well, that's very I, I was going to, yeah, so I was going to follow from that. I was going to say, like, I this is why I think we still need it, because, and I'm kind of, this is a big idea for me, and I'm kind of referencing, like, my vague understanding of this concept I've read in, like, some Nietzsche thing at some point where he was explaining that, like you need you can't really stare into the abyss directly you need some kind of filter for it and for me the way i interpret that concept of the abyss or like staring beyond the veil of maya or he there's like this thing about like reverse sunspots and all this stuff and like the idea of like you can't like quite look in the face of the thing that will blind you um and i think that is why we still need it because like life itself is so confusing and disorienting and to actually like reckon with how disturbing and fucked up it is we need we still need interpretive work like we need that even if we don't have uh, like an organized belief system to to truly like have faith in like we still need to kind of have these these metaphors these ideas these like manifestations of these scary things because it's our only way to cope with them yeah, it's like the mirror that you oh, use yeah, that was Ibiza, beautiful right? Thank that, you. Um, that, you know, you can look at the reflection, but you can't look at the real thing. And I, I think, yeah. yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think, honestly, um, there's a there's an extent to which the the rational age and the age of science and the age of discovery um, has made that more panic inducing because 
we have access to so much information and so much knowledge and so much technology, and yet there are still causes and effects or or impacts or patterns that escape our understanding. And I think that, you know, it's <laughs> it's a very um, persistently disturbing reminder of our human limitations. And, and the more we achieve, there's always something just beyond our understanding or just beyond our capability. And, um, you know, whether, whether we choose to call that demons or, um, or devils or, you know, just bad luck, there's, there's something, um, fascinating, abjectly fascinating about it because we can't ignore the fact that there are still these things that we don't understand. Um, so in confronting those in stories or in, um, in you know at arm's length in these narrative or artistic representations i think is a way of coping with that or a way of trying to to manage it well yeah, absolutely like there was like uh there was some language in the great god pan story that i read last week about that 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 uh, these like the horns and the, the shape of the sort of like half man have beast is like something that you try to clothe this terrible thing this awful nature of reality that like the characters in the story get the glimpse and go mad from the revelation which is uh as this story is kind of like a precursor to lovecraft and that's kind of kind of like uh i don't know like this we have this lot of this eldritch horror and lovecraftian fiction where there are these eldritch gods or elder gods and monsters that drive people mad from the revelation and they're so unknowable and like like I, I don't really see that much different from demons. Like it's just more of a modern take to it that maybe they're aliens or from another dimension, but they kind of tr tried to kind of wash the stink of religion off it or like magic off it, but it's still kind of the same thing, isn't it? What yeah. about what about uh, Satanism then and and stuff like that? We or the the uh, <laughs> the worship of of bad boy characters in movies like Loki and and others. Uh, I think there's also an, another idea that uh, being the goody two-shoes is is boring and and people might want to, you know, let loose, but they need someone to, you know, let them do do so. I mean, in, in one of the churches of, of, uh, of Satan, uh, they they talk about being the antithesis of God in, in that God tells you no all the time says that you're not allowed a lot of things and Satan says you can do whatever you like yeah uh, and that's that's the love from that's the love Satan offers is the love that you can do whatever you like um and and that's 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 alluring for people I think uh, well it's a reclamation of true free will in the face of predestination right I mean if this concept of predestination is so terrifying and restrictive that you know there's something that has that has predetermined your outcome. You don't know what it is. There's no real way for you to be sure of it, but there's also no way for you to change it. And I mean, that's such a that's such a, a frightening way to approach the world. And I, you know, I see how um, how that would have rebounded in some ways into this um, this sort of very deliberate trying to reclaim the absolute free will that that um humans like to feel that they have <laughs> yeah i mean that's where there's a huge theological split just you know right down that um that very concept you know yeah 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 absolutely but 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 uh 
why is it then that it came back, so to say, in in modern, like later part of the 20th century? Why did Satanism come roaring back? Why did the why does movies to a certain extent delve into these these relatable uh, but unredeemable characters? Uh, why is it that they are something that we want to watch? If it's not for some sort of fascination with with uh, or maybe it's a re reaction it's the to the forbidden fruit. Yeah, but but maybe why why is it that it's it's always been something that's been behind the scenes? You know, Christianity has been a oppressive oppressive force for a lot of people, but Christianity has lost its its you know control on 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 the world, so to say, and a lot of other religions as well, more uh, also. But in like in the eighties, you saw the rise of uh, Satanists and and people who proclaimed Satan as the reason why they did stuff. Uh, and I mean, that's when when it really started to decline, right? The uh, religious. Well, I think it's kind of it. like kind of a counterculture movement in a way that is kind of like a rebellion and wanting to be strong and independent and kind of like uh, sort of deriving your identity from sort of, um, I guess, opposing the majority, which still in a lot of places is like Christianity and. I think Satanism and people who are into that kind of stuff are also probably kind of rejecting other societal norms as well and kind of like they don't want to be squares and they just want to be like, yeah, I don't know, rebel, rebel against society. I, I mean, also, I think that, oh, thank oh, God. I was, just, I was just put out that there may be also be an idea of, of, of declining freedom in that time, that suddenly you know, you have cameras, uh, you have you have policing the streets of, of almost every country. There, there comes concepts that sort of restrict your th freedom and a lot of morality is preached towards you of, of not using drugs, not, you know, doing crime and stuff. I think maybe that's also a thing. So it's like a, a religious rebellion towards society as a whole more. Also, like, like, yeah. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. There's something to that, definitely. I mean, I think modernity brings, and especially, you know, sort of technological advances, brings with it a kind of painful anonymity in a lot of respects. Um, and so there's this, you know, the, this cubicle culture and the the rise of the office. And, you know, I mean, these things where it's just you're you're part of this mass of gray humanity um, in a very sort of matrixy kind of way, right? And um, I think that, that that turn towards the supernatural and the demonic and in many ways the, the kind of um, past sense of, of how the world works um, and trying to, to cling on to that or trying to appropriate that is um, a, a grasping at a sense of individualism too, like that, you know, I'm not like the rest of the people and I'm not, you know, I don't work that way and I, I'm not restricted by these um these social structures and these social not like other girls <laughs> yeah yeah i'd agree with that as well yeah that is sort of trying to insert some meaning into this dull gray existence of ours 
I mean, I think at the, at the same time, you know, it's sort of almost to, to argue against that. I, I think, too, in the 80s, at least in America, like we have this um, <sighs> heroization, I guess, of, of the kind of amoral, um, I'm thinking like American psycho, right? Like this Wall Street kind of super slick, super high powered, super wealthy, um, almost like the, the vampire as nobility that we talked about um, on the other creature chat, but this idea that there are people out there who are exempt from consequence and, and have this, um, this other level of, of morality that applies to them in maybe different ways than it applies to other people. And um, so maybe the, the appeal of like being one of those people or finding a way to, to tap into that kind of um, self-promoting narcissism um, might also yeah. be a, Definitely, I think like the like Satan is sometimes depicted as like a billionaire playboy in Mamba. I was gonna say that yeah. it's mm. one of my favorite interpretations of of Satan is like the really like slick hair Armani yeah. suit with like the sunglasses because if he looks at you in the eye, his eyes will burn you. Like I love that as, as an interpretation. Yeah. He's he's um, a new aristocracy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The devil's yeah, advocate. From devil's advocate yeah. Oh, that's like yeah. fantastic movie. And I've seen a few episodes of that show, Lucifer, as well. I think that's kind of the general gist of that show as well. But yeah, that sort of idea, I don't know where, how old that idea of a man of wealth and taste, I guess many depictions of the devil do have that kind of like dapper suit and the sort of handlebar mustache and like the slick back hair. That's kind of his human form in most things. Well, also in Dracula, also sort of the name Dracul also sort of means demon or devil or dragon. So, so if you want to go that, there's a uh, callback to the old, the other episode at least. I, I think, I mean, to go sort of way back in our discussion, but talking about um, turning points or, or sort of cultural touchstones for the modern image of the devil or, or Lucifer in particular, like, um, I mean, I think we would be remiss not to mention um, Milton's Paradise Lost, because I think that in in that text, we have the first evidence or the, the first kind of groundbreaking evidence that Satan is a, a beautiful, tragic figure um, or that anti-hero rather than a, a purely demonic or purely vilified, um, almost brute or um, inhuman sort of creature that he is so for example, like corrupter and defiler who has wants to pro blow up the world he's kind of like emphasize emphasizing that free will aspect and the rebel aspect of it sort of like and making god into sort of an um, oppressive tyrant in that sort of narrative yeah yeah absolutely how would you reconcile just the the concepts of the fall of man versus the sort of fall of an angel like is there something like between them, or are they two like completely separate ideas? I'm, I'm just wondering about that. Well, in uh, in uh, well, in World of Darkness, though that modern sort of role-playing game, they they sort of say that uh, that Cain, uh, basically the the act of murder, was the thing that ultimately made made demons fall or like angels fall to, into demons but because they did something so atrocious they were taught by humans to do something humans atrocious. were the original evil yeah they they, oh, wow. they they had the potential to do real evil not just you know 
rebel a little against what, what God's will was, that they could actually kill, and that what taught the, the angels to, to do evil. Yeah, I like that. I think I, that concept that, like, the reason why Lucifer fell was not because because of, like, the inherent evil of, of some, like, the potential evil of an angel, but, like, that's us. We did that, you know? Like, it's our fault. I, I like that as a... Uh, yeah, like, he took a look at our browser history, and it was like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that that's the causal relationship the humans were the were in fact the original sin and like we corrupted it's like it's we weren't corrupted by demons we corrupted <laughs> we were the corruptors you know i like that mm. it's cool. kind of embarrassing for everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sorry I, I broke it i think it's the book of enoch the the um, apocryphal text describes um the demons or the, the fallen angels or the Nephilim as um, bringing us technology so that like each Nephilim was responsible for teaching like metalworking or writing or, um, and there's this sort of repeated emphasis that we weren't supposed to know any of that. Um, and in teaching us, they were, uh, they were transgressing. And, and so it's kind of the same idea that, you know, the knowledge of good and evil, but it's more, um, it's more just any human technology or any human kind of tool use <laughs> is actually evidence that um, that we were tampered with um, and, and that we know things we aren't supposed to know. And I just think that's a really interesting um, through line into the, the kind of modern things that we were talking about that, you know, the more we know, the the less human we are, the less good we are. I don't know. It's a it's a aliens. Um, that's an it was aliens. Word. That we were pure. I mean, this is sort of a idea that people, in some ways, hold today, even in sort of secular discourse, that we were sort of more pure before we had technology. That we were just like hanging out and being animals, and that's kind of like pure state of nature and uncorrupted and kind of innocent, even though we probably were eating each other all the time. <laughs> I want to actually want to linger on this. It was aliens thing for a sec. I, I like for me one of my favorite ways to think about demons again like i went back to like the eldritch things like that they actually were aliens like like a lot of demons actually were something otherworldly that came to this planet and did the the bad stuff and that's why we have the stories like is there something to that i mean maybe not literally but like do you like that as a way of thinking about it yeah it's canon i think oh canon for sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) i do i do really like that idea i mean i i like the idea that you know we weren't we weren't bright enough to figure it out on our own, but I will say like the origins of that are very sort of racially problematic in that, um, you know, it, it began as an explanation for like, Oh, you know, those people couldn't possibly have built the pyramids or like those people, you know what I mean? Like, so there is, there is this kind of unfortunate tinge to it, but I think, you know, in a, in a broader conceptual way that, um, it is, it is very interesting to think that like maybe humans aren't as, just as a collective, like aren't as great as we think we are. <laughs> like we have needed help um, from from things, um, from other beings, you know, in in various stages of our development. Um, yeah, that's interesting to think about. To me, like uh, this one thought uh, exercise that occurs to me when talking about aliens is like, like if there were aliens, we probably wouldn't recognize them. That we would kind of like just assume that the, some part of the world that we take as granted would be aliens. And like uh, the metaphor is used that that our 
like an anthill doesn't know that it's by the way like a motorway that there's cars going past it all the time that, that we are the anthill and that there might be like aliens traveling past us through us everywhere like all the time like and like how that relates to like how there's sort of overlap between alien abduction experiences and experiences of demons and like fairies and stuff like that and i believe that's probably to do with sleep paralysis and other sorts of altered states of consciousness where people will imagine all manner of things that are sort of like otherworldly or alien either in the space way or in the sort of demon way i guess so what you're saying is that aliens or demons are five uh, fifth dimensional beings that we can't observe unless they choose to reveal themselves through dreams and other sorts of other ways i guess like yeah i guess that's kind of a one way to think about it and a lot of fantasy and sci-fi there's this idea of like the veil between reality and some other sort of dimension that where the demons or the aliens dwell as well and like that like what we were talking about earlier that like poetic inspiration is sometimes called like the muse or something like that, that there's like spirits reaching through the veil to give us these ideas. Or that's how we explain like flow states and stuff like that while writing or music or something like that. Well, it's I mean, inspiration, like the, the word inspiration is literally like breathing into, right? So it is this, this external um, infusion or invasion, depending on, on how you look at it. Um, that and that's, and that's Dimas. Basically, mm -hmm. if you got Socrates uh, mm -hmm. idea, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Full circle. Mic drop. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we solved it. We have the truth. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> this turned into like every History Channel, like at the end. But maybe it was alien. <laughs> we don't. We don't we, know we that need, it was We need alien. that meme. We need that meme with the guy with the hair up and the just says. Sarah, you know that you know that Atlanteans were superhumans with oh, magical yeah. powers. I know. They were demigods. Whether they were demigods from space, I I cannot and will not say. But. <laughs> okay, I'd I'd like to zoom into another aspect of demonology that we haven't talked about yet and that is the aspect of deals and pacts with demons and why is that so such a significant part in these things that you sort of have to oftentimes you have to voluntarily enter into some sort of relationship with the demon for it to fully corrupt you what's that about yeah i think this is like where this stems from is pretty simple I mean, people want to believe that the world is fair. Of course, the world is not fair. That's just not how it works. But you see someone and you're like, shit, man, they got like the best luck ever. So either they have to be divinely blessed. And if they're a great person, you think, oh, you know, well, obviously, you know, God has blessed them. Uh, and if they're like a shitty jackass that like everything goes well in life, you're like, well, they must have made a deal with the demon. You know, it's just easier to explain than like, you know, fucking shit happens and they've been lucky. I think it's really interesting that a lot of those deals, as you say, Adam, they, they often come with wealth and power, but um, I mean, I'm thinking especially in like the blues tradition, right, that it, a lot of times it's an artistic inspiration. And it, I mean, it's an interesting callback mm, to, talent. yeah, it's an interesting callback to the, to the daimon, right? Like that it's, you know, you've found your, 
your tutelary demon or you've accessed that, um, you know, that spirit that's, that's looking out for you and, and kind of giving you this enhanced ability. Um, but yeah, the idea that it's an artistic one specifically is, is something that I think is really interesting. No, I, well, it's just I maybe also, another way for us to rationalize, you know, people that are just exceptional. Yeah, but it's it's always been a story, like a part of like folk tale as well, that you have these deals made where you experience something fantastic, where you you uh, you achieve something fantastic, and but there comes a price to it, always, whether it has a sinister, uh, like the genie. Kind of yeah, like. The, like the genie or like uh, right. Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was we like have a elf we have fairy man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, the elves in 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 Nordic mythology. We have uh, the there's a, there's this this turtle princess in Japanese uh, mythology where this guy comes down into her palace and lives with her, but when he chose to come back, he's all the people he knows is is dead, and and that's sort of the the deal he made without knowing it so the in all of all across the world we have these ideas of of deals being made some sort of sacrifice having to be made for some achieving something great or fantastic uh, and I, just, I, I don't know when it started but it's pretty ancient Maybe it's just like an alchemical idea, basically, that nothing comes from nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's a cautionary tale to it. And I think in so many of those stories, uh, the consequences are deferred, uh, where, you know, you're like, yeah, sure, I'll trade my soul. And then you live a great life and you kind of like and a lot of them, people even kind of forget or they think that the that the demon that they made the deal with has forgotten. And then, you know, on their deathbed, he shows up and he's like, hey, you remember? And they're like, oh, man, I thought you forgot, you know, but <laughs> um, but he doesn't forget. And I, I think that there's a, a sort of ongoing suggestion that, yeah, like that they're not, you don't get anything for free, that there's, you know, it's going to catch up with you. So make sure that you're making the right choices for the right reasons um, and don't, you know, don't bank on on not having to pay the price. Well, that you're kind of like maybe something that you know that you really should do, but you're ignoring it and procrastinating on it, and you're kind of, like, <laughs> I don't know, made a deal with the devil to not worry about it, but then it catches up to you, and you're like, oh, fuck, I should have I should have paid my dues, I should have done this and this, and now the sky is falling. Yeah. If presented with the option, would you guys make a deal with the devil? If it was sufficiently, like appealing and felt like it would be worth it would you do it no no like if you have incontrovertible proof that like the devil is real and he's like hey you know yeah eternal torment and uh your soul yeah, for torment. like a short period of living it up you're like nah no okay no that, that <laughs> would, that would basically prove power. to me that would basically prove to me that God exists as well, and and then I would just be full exactly. God all, all, the, exactly. all the time. I'd be a full <laughs> God. <laughs> the the, uh, the, oh. the only t- the only way I can see these sort of deals making sense. I mean, some people just don't give a shit. But like you know, like the the devil will like bring back your loved one or something. Or, right. You, you know, need sufficient pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what I'm imagining. Like it really is something you desperately want, not just like I'm cool and powerful and have money. Yeah, like, you have something to you... be able to say to hell with it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. But also, will you get out of the deal if you guess Satan's name? <laughs> if I say Maybe it backwards three times. Him. Yeah, because if that happened, if that's true, then yes, I would. Can I get three more wishes? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Which rules are we playing by? The rules are I get to cheat out of the deal? Wishes. Yeah, definitely. If we're playing by, like, supernatural TV show rules, then, like, I'll find a way out of it. So, it's fine. Yeah. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll, I won't be like everyone else that got tormented. You know, I'll, I'll get out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. I'm smarter, embarrassed I'm smarter than the others. Devil dealer. <laughs> Yeah, there is an ironic, um, the, the temptation there seems to be an individual exceptionalism, isn't it? Like that, yeah. you know, maybe maybe I'm the only one who can who can make this deal or maybe I'm the only one. And we have we have um, evidence of that or we have versions of that same deal with the devil or the deal with death um, in Greek mythology, too. So Admetus and Alcestis, um, when it's Admetus's turn to die, his wife Alcestis agrees to go in his place. And Hercules shows up and, and, you know, here's the story and everyone's in mourning. He's like, well, that's bullshit. And he just goes down and wrestles death and rescues, <laughs> rescues Alcestis and, and brings her back up. Um, and then I think the same guy also ties death up so that he can't die. And then in the end, like he goes down to Hades and he's finally overcome and he's, he suffers eternal torment for like thinking that he could outsmart death or, or outsmart Hades. Um, so, you know, no matter how successful you are, there's, there's it'll catch up with you right and i you know i think the the latent message there is that like nobody is is exceptional in that way you just had to keep looking forward orpheus you had one job okay right, right. looking ahead you're yeah. good but yeah. that poses an interesting question would would satan choose someone who could possibly get out the deal or would he choose chums that would just think they could get out the deal and could Right. It's just like the usual idea that he wants to sort of uh, sort of thumb his nose at God and kind of like corrupt the most pure soul on earth and kind of like working on that as a passion project, but maybe his more sort of bread and butter sort of deals are with people who are smugs, who will be like easily, <laughs> Probably, yeah. easily tempted. Yeah. yeah, but like is smug's soul as satisfying? Right? Probably not. Devil, yeah, the devil, sort of the purest, purest yeah. like saint souls, probably like. He wants the good much, shit. Yeah, that's primo souls. But that, but that poses another question, right? Um, if if God, let's see, let's say that God has everything. God does is is destined. He he knew what he knows what he does and everything. He or she. Um, so he made say, Satan to tempt people he must have or at least uh, meant it to be that way right uh, so wouldn't he maybe want to especially tempt the people who might be able to withstand temptation and or get out of t uh, the deal somehow to prove that satan isn't worthy enough so that's the question so patrick what you're saying that you could get out of the deal somehow uh, yeah, me personally, I I uh, I, I think I have a loophole. I, I believe that. Chance. I think you have a snowball's chance in Dutch <laughs> winter. Think, thinking about um, the confrontations or the kind of going after the purest souls reminded me of um, Margaret of Saint Margaret of Antioch, 
who's the one most famously who gets swallowed by a devil in the form of a dragon and makes the sign of the cross and bursts out of him. And there are all these um, illustrations that we've looked at on the, on the forums and stuff where the dragon looks but in the story, that's the first encounter that she has in prison and she, she, you know, bursts the dragon asunder and she's fine. And then the next night um, the devil shows up as another devil shows up as this guy. And he's like, man, you exploded my brother. He's like, that's the, <laughs> his name was this and you killed him. And she's like, well, sorry, you know, but mm. he, he kind of tries to um, tempt her again. And she just beats the crap out of him in this, like, you know, this like demure kind of virgin saint um, there are all these depictions of her in manuscripts and stuff, just, just sitting on him on the ground, just like ground and pounding him. <laughs> <laughs> does she so have awesome. one of those serene expressions on her face while she's she doing She does, yeah, she's like, you know, the beatific, like, you know, but she's got her fist up in the air and she's just wailing on now, him. Now, now, Satan, <laughs> settle down, settle down. And that's, that's interesting because uh, isn't it like a, a theme or not, not like a theme where dragons and uh are sort of like the demonic part of, of women like the the untamable part of women that that knights need to to slay before they can claim their prize as of a of a pure maiden isn't that well, something I had, never, I had never heard that it was an aspect of but that's just interesting that she would be the one pummeling uh that that sort of breaks that uh, in a way, or at least is counter to that. I like that. I feel like in most stories dealing with uh, sort of the devil and uh, sort of fallen women, it's like witches flying off the bald mountain to consort with the devil and kind of like giving themselves over to the dark prince and the hoofed one and that sort of thing that they're kind of like, that they're not the devil themselves, the women or the dragon, but they're sort of like servants, I guess. I mean, it's an interesting, if we're thinking about it in terms of gender hierarchies and, and you know, social structures, it's interesting to think that the women specifically would have a higher power to turn to or, or could, you know, kind of level up in ways mm. that you know, would be very disruptive, um, similar to the Maenads and Dionysus, right, where once they join his collective, um, they don't really have a use anymore for the roles that have been assigned to them or, or the, you know, the sort of limited um, limited power that has been allowed them, um, and the men almost become, you know, obsolete in some ways. Just staring with joy at these pictures. In rapture. Yeah, we are sharing some. Was it the Margaret Saint, of Antioch? Saint Margaret of Antioch. Yeah, I. I, yeah, I, this, I feel like this could be the photo. Really. Yeah, this has got to be the cover photo. I think <laughs> this one. <laughs> we found it. Yeah. it Ladies and gentlemen, face. we got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just saw it now. That was my lab reaction. Um. Yep. I guess we've talked tall and wide on this topic and we have been going for almost two hours we might go into sort of lighter topics and talk about people's personal favorite works of fiction to feature demons or devils and uh, things that they would like to recommend or describe for the group here so please take it away what sorts of demons and devils do you like in what sorts of works I mean, we mentioned it already, but for me, The Devil's Advocate is um, 
is is a a really important one. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot in it that would be like super problematic now. I haven't watched it in a long time, but um, there's a lot that's pretty squirmy in there. But uh, it, is, it is sort of a quintessential. Yeah, um, that one Merle in there is very squirmy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely and, some messed up stuff. Yeah, and and Paradise Lost, and um, I would say like the <laughs> the demons with faces faces in places. The medieval representations of um, the multi-faced demon are near and dear to my heart. But <laughs> yeah, those are very cool. I like looking at the illuminated uh, pictures of demons from those old manuscripts on Pinterest and like. I guess my demon board began more as sort of like modern fantasy from Warhammer and uh, like Warcraft and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. But nowadays it's been more like these primary sources, I suppose, from like these older depictions of where people actually might have believed in these things. No, I think D&D came up with all that stuff. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the, it's the ground, ground floor of all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't demons before the 70s. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely like I consumed a lot of Warhammer content when I was younger, and that was kind of a lot of my fantasy fantasy knowledge is kind of grounded on that and the in the Warhammer fantasy and Warhammer uh, for for the K universes. There's these four chaos gods called um um, um they're Korn, the Blood God, and Zinch, the Changer of Ways, and it's like this whole intricate order of these different gods and like they're different demons and there's all different kinds and they're kind of like the big bad of the setting and it's uh, a lot about resisting them and fighting them and how it's all futile in the end and a lot of colorful and cool sorts of models and art of these different sorts of demons that are definitely based on those older depictions as well with uh with the faces in places that they shouldn't be and all that I would say um, certainly like Good Omens, of course. I also like Sandman and the way it depicts Lucifer, especially. I think there's actually a comic independent about Lucifer. I've not read that, but there's a TV show, I think, but it's bad. I don't know. Someone can... <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would also say uh, I'm reading Berserk right now, and mainly I think that was a source of inspiration for a series of games I really like, like the Dark Souls games, Demon Souls, um, and Bloodborne, and all that stuff. I think those are all really good sort of interpretations of this idea of, of, of course, like lots of cool just monsters in those and lots of demonic things, but also the idea of like a very bleak environment and sort of like every person is trying to not go insane, basically, because of how terrible it is. I think it's a really good example of that um so yeah that's all stuff i like uh people are talking about full metal alchemist in the chat i love that too for seven deadly sin stuff it's just oh, yeah, I love that as well. yeah yeah the sort of seven deadly sins are like a very cool categorization of demons that i like that drag dragon edge has that a little bit as well and i also like the demons yeah. in dragon Edge quite a bit like the, yeah, dragon age. Yeah. the uh idea of like the uh Seven deadly things. It's wasp legs, so it's wrath, avarice, sloth, pride, lust, envy, and gluttony. So those are sort of like very cool That's to cool. things to think about. Like these, uh, I guess, 
deficiencies or weaknesses that we all have that we kind of have to fight against and maybe sometimes indulge a little bit, but like maybe like dressing them up as demons is very cool, like seeing different kinds of hunger demons and rage demons like I, when I think of a rage demon, I think of like the Balrog from Lord of the Rings, like just this like smoldering, smoldering big muscly dude who has horns and stuff. I guess. Yeah. I really like yeah, in that. Like, I was going to say, I really like in, in Dragon Age how just the mere presence of a demon in an environment like sort of corrupts the people there. Like they're they don't, they're not making bargains necessarily, although that does happen. But like just the idea of a demon being around just kind of has a corruptive influence on everyone oh, kind of in like different the, ways. Same idea that we were talking earlier about the angels and Xander wanted to talk about the difference between angels and Demons as well, that sort of reality warping power that also, also these eldritch abomination uh, creatures often have that they sort of like drive everyone insane and I guess the physical environment in Dragon Age also changes with the demons presence like this um, meat on the walls often. <laughs> <Just sort> of <laughs> Lots of gunk and stuff yeah. <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's like really... Blight. That's sort of like the Warhammer 40k-esque uh, idea of the warp that you have these this dimension or this also called the ethereum yeah you have a material that you sort of tap into to do a lot of the things you want to do for space travel and stuff like that but in there you have all sorts of demons and and malformed creatures chaos humans all sorts of things that sort of come out and try to to bring you into their sort of dimension Esque cloud. Yeah, the realm of dreams and thoughts and ideas, but that the, that's also where the demons live. That's a yeah. very cool, cool idea that is both in Warhammer and uh, and Dragon Age and many others, I'm sure. To that to that point that you were making that Xander was raising about how um, often the the line between demons and angels is a lot thinner than um, than we might be comfortable with. I think both in appearance and you know the alluring sort of side of of demonology, but, um, you know, also in behavior, uh, because angels are not always nice at all. Right. I mean, like they're, they can be very aggressive and, um, and very punitive and things, but, um, it's not until the 15th century until the 1400s in Europe that theological discussions of demons and angels become separate. And up until that point, they're treated essentially as like two sides of the same coin, which I think is very interesting. interesting. So, any powers that they have, any attributes that they have, they, they talk about them or they consider them interchangeably. Um, and it's a you know behavioral difference and a kind of um, motivational difference, but but um, right. you know, physiologically and stuff, they're considered the same until that late. Um, I think I saw a movie once where it was actually the idea of um, you would see these cherubs on, on like a, on a church or something like that. It's like old building. And then you step beyond the veil, and the the cherubs would have turned into gargoyles or something like that instead. Oh yeah, what was that movie? Oh, it was really cool. I remember just that uh, that really stuck with me. <laughs> that imagery. Uh, was that yeah, like in Constantine or something? It might have been. It might have been. Might have been. Oh yeah, that's a good movie with Keanu Reeves. I like that one. I'm not familiar with the source material, but the Constantine movie was that one too. pretty cool. Um, I feel like the angels being uh, like assholes thing is kind of a newer, a newer thing. It's it's really not though, isn't it? Abraham that wrestles with. 
a demon? I have to go. I don't think it is Abraham. No, I no, I mean like in the past, it's like you know, the, you know, God would send the angel and like lay waste to a whole city. But I mean like, sort of like angels as sort of like doing their own thing and being kind of assholes. You know what I mean? Not like yeah, delivering divine punishment. It's like an emotionless dick, just sort of like, well, we're you know, maybe we're kind of bad people too. You know? Well, what kind um, of uh, angels would you like to have in your story, Adam? What what kind do you like? Angels? Oh, I don't know. Usually they don't show up a lot because it's very. I think so you angels don't want have, them to be like to elves, like snooty and prideful and pretentious. I don't know. Is that um, like, it was Jacob? Just so I feel like most people, most people, when it comes to angels in like you know Judeo-Christian society, want like you know they want the angel to show up and perform a miracle and save somebody and peace out. And they don't really, you know, like what was that movie with uh, John Travolta where like he was was that Michael or whatever. Um, you know, when you get movies like that, where it's yeah. like it's they have like a personality or they do shit, like a lot of people kind of, I don't know, it seems to. Yeah, I don't, I don't like them as people. I like them more as like this sort of like unknowable thing that kind of like maybe visits you sometimes. Like they're like a sound wave or something. <laughs> yeah, or like <laughs> we've, we've talked about like, all like the the dark demons and stuff, but have we talked about like kind of the lighter side of demons, like um, like the demons from the good place or uh, yeah, like oh, I like. Yeah. like a little more comedic. Like Devil is a part timer. Like, like the. Uh, like good omens again. Talked about yeah, yeah, good omens. Again, from DC. And for me, I'm mostly just going off the cartoons. So. Well, some so some so some, some, was some that more detective um, comics. Yeah. Uh, what character were you referencing? Etrigan, the demon. My DC character guide, which I don't have with me, but Jason. he's just called a demon. So. And he's the man with who look, looks kind of like a yellow uh, shape of yeah, water exactly. guy. Yeah, Because mm-hmm. mm. sometimes the demons are just basically like an alternate reality sort of thing, like a different dimension. Like not like like you you run into demons in a story where it's like yeah they look like we think of demons and all that, but like they don't. They aren't tied to sort of the heaven and hell mythos kind of. Um, mm. uh, my understanding, is is directly um, linked to hell. Oh no, yeah, thing. he is. Yeah, yeah. But more like the sorrow, right? Well, because Etrigan well, is tied to a human host on Earth, so. Yeah, Jason uh, Blood. I'm trying to think. He like he's he's not friendly, but he's not. Like he uh, to kill humans. So... Depending on what. Depending on what. Yeah, um, I think is it Merlin? Merlin like bound him to yeah. Jason Blood, so then yeah. that's why he basically yeah. serves. No, yeah. 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 So Merlin, fun fact, is also widely regarded as being half demon. Um, and he was actually one of the key pieces huh. of evidence for medieval debates over whether demonic generation was possible. So the, the people who were debating it would be like, well, that doesn't seem possible. And they're like, well, what about Merlin? <laughs> what God, to be a fan <laughs> of Merlin. Everyone, right? You remember Merlin, bro? Yeah, but he was I like the, the go-to. So everybody's like, oh, good boy, good boy. Yeah, he pulled up Merlin. Yeah. That was post-Christian. Wait, so he was half demon? Yeah, his father was a demon. I'm going to remember that. Hmm. I would love to see those debates in person. I would, I would be so fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I can't, I can't believe he pulled he a Merlin card again. Um, <laughs> he was 
Christ. So he 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 retains some of the demonic powers, like he's all seeing and the magic, but that's why he's not actually physically looks like a demon or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's where he got his magic powers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of tied into this in Hellboy as well, which is a comic series, and I like the Ron Perlman movies as well. Like Hellboy, Hellboy is somehow related to King Arthur through his mother's side, I think, but the Dead Devil by his father's side, and those are cool, cool comics to read if you like myths and folklore and uh, sort of the more eldritch stuff as well. There's plenty of that in there. I recommend them as well. I'll just say on, on the on the angels being assholes line, of course, got to mention his dark materials, and that's also interesting because it reclaims the other the other idea of demons um, as like a sort of consciousness um, that all the people have as animals, <laughs> animal consciousness. So yeah. in his dark materials, I haven't read it, but uh, are you saying that the demons are somehow tied to like? Free will and consciousness and angels are um, tied to. It's not that simple. So like they're not they're not demons in the sense that we normally understand them. They're like they're like like literally just like animals that hang out with every human. They all have an animal with them, and as they become adults, it settles into a particular animal. And like they're just like they're they're sort of like they they exist as a physical entity, but they're also meant to be a representation of their soul, basically that that walks around with them. Yeah, it's it, like, like aren't a, a lot of things in that world like sort of misnamed. Um, like they 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 just call things different names. So like their version of demons and then our version of demons are just not the same. Like same word, different different thing. Yeah. Also in DC, uh, there's a very minor character, um, Bator, who is a <laughs> who who is a demon. And uh, a bartender, apparently. That's a thing. Comics he, he just, does he just like hang out and serve drinks? Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. And all he says is, "I am Bator." So. Like Groot. <laughs> Again. Exactly. Exactly. Like Groot. Groot's a demon. He's a tree man. Yeah. He's <laughs> like a. Uh... Here, let's see if I can find a picture. <sighs> For the, this is, a, you know, sort of a weird interjection in the comic, but while Kat's looking for the pictures, um, for the psychology of demons um, and the sort of mass hysteria and and the um, psychological impact that it had in the Middle Ages, I would highly recommend Aldous Huxley's Devils of Loudon, um, which is about like a mass hysteria event that happened um, with uh, alleged demonic possession in a monastery or a, a nunnery a convent um and also um umberto echoes the name of the rose is another really good um oh, yeah. like period kind of uh look at the way that it, it really impacted um individual psychology and things i do enjoy like, mass hysteria events like i read it for ap dogs and cats living together it was i mean like you can see the way that he lays out how something like that could have taken over an entire town is absolutely mind-boggling but it's it's so clear as you see it happening like you get to that 
at that point, that end point. Um, but that is interesting, like sort of like as we talked about sort of psychological, possibly why we tell these stories and that there are times in our lives when something just sort of takes you over. And I guess mass hysteria is one of those times where like people will go kind of nuts, maybe <laughs> in a crowd and like, yeah, I guess we talked earlier about like lust making you do all sorts of things. And yeah, I guess like I guess these could be useful metaphors for those those things well we also have in the literature we have like the hounds basketball if you want the mass hysteria thing uh but also it sort of has like a reference to other sorts of you know you you get the idea of a reference to other things but if you want like the dark materials things i had i read a, a trilogy called uh the bart bartimaeus uh bartimaeus trilogy uh the first book would be the amulet of samarkand it's also about um, people binding demons to them to do menial tasks. So it could be you have a, a lower level demon just to move a plate from one end to another. So it sort of explains technology as you people just binding demons to to do menial tasks for them. It's, it's sort of fun also. also. Are we still going? Yep, we are. That's uh, that was, uh, sounded kind of interesting. That binding demons to do menial tasks reminded me of a scene from Rick and Morty where Rick builds a little robot to pass the butter, and the robot is like, "What is my purpose?" And you pass butter. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rick is demon. Rick, Rick is the devil. Quick note: uh, Pokemon also has a devil. Wait, what? What are we talking about? What? Which? Oh, purple Giratina. Yeah, Giratina. Oh, Giratina. Yeah, yeah. But also, Darkrai is also sort of yeah. in the demon territory. Mm. Uh, but but yeah, uh, Giratina is basically the uh, the unmaking of 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 things and was banished to a different dimension. Uh, you know, so, for kids. Yeah. Yeah, for kids. Christianity for kids. There's a new game coming out soon. Uh, uh, Arceus, I think Arceus. Um, game. The God of Pokemon. Yeah. So basically, I'm I'm thinking we might get a little glimpse of uh, the devil as well, if we're, if we're lucky. Llama God. Yeah. Llama he is Llama God. Have you seen the Arceus movie? Um, they had Dan Green, and they didn't have him voice God. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, well. So are you guys going to do an episode on Pokemon soon? I would definitely Pro do that. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely down. Or to listening to that. Oh, I'd be down for that. By no means an expert, but I'd be interested to listen. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Creatures that go in the pocket and fight each other for... Gems? Is it gems that they fight for? No, but just regular money. Gems. <laughs> just, just money. These things. Just, just hard money. cash. If you lose in a Pokemon battle, they knock you out and rob you. So, yeah, yeah, you so. It's very high stakes. <laughs> oh my God. It's it is. Nice. It is. Uh, yeah. Dog, fight, dog fighting with robbery oh, at the end. Indeed. Well, we can go go into that. I have a whole thing about that uh we can go into that when we have the podcast 
Uh, but so, yeah, we're taking a tangent. Any any games or uh, we recommend we would recommend or anything else? Sorry. Uh, already already I already mentioned Dragon Edge, which is uh, yeah. very good. Um, any Diablo fans? Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, there you go. that's a very yeah. obvious one that we did. Devil May Cry. Oh. Devil May Cry. Yeah. So, oh so, yeah, yeah yeah. If you like that mm -hmm. sort of. Virgil. Yeah. I played the third Diablo, but I'm not like a super fan or anything. But I'm a little familiar with the yeah. with the setting, and it's uh, I like the. I'm trying to think who else cool. like um. Well, visuals at least. What are the what are games where you actually play as like a demon Doom. Or a demon character? Or not as a demon? No, no, no. But Doom. Doom, you beat up demons as a guy. Doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a. <laughs> um, is like. Margaret of Antioch, the game. Oh yeah, I love that game. Uh, really that cool. should be a game. Doom, Doom cracks me up because they have like you know they have the DFG in that game, right? Um, and you know what that stands for. And then my son comes home there and they read this book. He's like, the BFG, it's the big friendly giant. I'm like, oh, that's not what that stands for. Um, <laughs> what the, oh. the Margaret of Antioch game isn't that uh, based on like a wrestling? game like UFC something like that isn't it that that was the base of the game they just ported over and, and made it medieval <laughs> wrestle some demons any any uh, warmer 40k games later on later of them are okay good some of them are better uh, well, I'm a big fan of uh, the, uh, the Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine it's called it's a very sort of mm action adventure game it's a kind of a beat em up game that you just play this uh hulking space warrior and you beat up orcs and later on demons and it's uh, actually kind of one of my favorite games low-key even though it's uh it's very basic but it it's it knows what it is and it does it well i think and since i'm a fan of the lore i really enjoy that game is it a four-player co-op isometric game no it's a it's a like a third person shooter and uh Oh, sword! You have chainsword and power hammers and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So As I think do. it's from 2008 or something. So you can play oh, it through it in, in like one night or something. Is there Warhammer is like that like demon heavy or I, I don't yeah. like orcs and I've never done it. All kinds of stuff. They, they have RTS games, right? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's the chaos is a big part of it. It's like many of the factions are tied to chaos, which is tied to demons and. But oh, there's okay. also like more mundane, mundane monsters like orcs and elves and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, if you want to play a game in that setting, Vermintide one and two are pretty good in that. Mm. In that setting, it's uh, like a basic Left 4 Dead style game. Um, yeah, you mostly oh. play the verminous ratmen who are like the, um, they are kind of made by chaos but they're not demons really but i think this uh, in the second one there's also the chaos ones who are like their followers of the plague god nurgle mm. yeah nurgle <laughs> great great name nurgle is the, the best of them he's he's so gnarly papa nurgle loves you mm. yeah the space marine game that i was talking about is from 2011 and it's um it's a good one. It's uh, it's kind of by the numbers, but it's it's very fun. I like it. There's a demon in uh, Song of Ice and Fire, or at least mentioned one. So that's that. So if you haven't read the Song of Ice and Fire, maybe you should do that. 
Yeah, I like those books. Petered out at the end. You know, it's been a while since I've read one of those. Were they about? I I think they're pretty good, though. I don't know whether or not. No, maybe. Literally every podcast. Literally every podcast, we get back to why we don't have more books. Literally everyone. I don't know how it happens. Like, there's no reason why it should happen, but it always does. I want to get off Mr. Martin's world right. Please. It's yeah. been 10 years. King Color Chronicle to finish. Is that what we're talking about? That's not going to be finished. <laughs> Ever. Nope. But yeah, to, to, uh, let's wrangle this back to what Patrick was saying about the demon in A Song of Ice and Fire. I believe... Um, I think you're talking specifically about the one whom Varys's genitals are sacrificed to, aren't you? Exactly, that one. That, that sticks with me somehow. Yes, I'm aware. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but yeah, that's a definitely like that sort of like sacrifice, blood sacrifice, and I guess the mage who is doing is is kind of making that deal with the devil and Desley. I think that the black goat of Cohort is probably the yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 good one yeah and then obviously whatever is opposed to relore I mean in the in the, that's the sort of binary um, religious structure that we get right the great other um, yeah that like when he meets up with Victorian he just straight up tells him that your drowned god is a demon fuck that guy <laughs> follow relore now. Another yeah. example of sort of just assimilating or just sort of diminishing other belief systems. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that, but it's too late now, but we can quickly talk about like demonizing other gods. So I think like some some sort of names that we have for demons that have sort of stuck around, like Baal or something like that, is just like a name for Lord in some other language that it's but it's sort of inappropriated to mean to be this demon lord kind of. I think there's other examples of that. I'm not sure Baphomet is one of those as well, but yeah, like just like <laughs> just like taking over another country and saying that okay, these your idols, there are demons actually. It's made by the evil one. You also have uh, Akuma in uh, like Street Fighter, right? Uh, he's the, Akuma is the closest you get to the actual devil in Japanese. Uh, lore. Oh right, yeah. Um, Is that like Aku in Samurai Jack as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aku, Aku. means evil. Oh, that's a good one. Aku means evil, so it's like evil magic, basically. Uh, uh, Akuma. So yeah, so that's one as well. We were talking yeah. in the chat about Beelzebub, and he comes from Baal. He's an appropriation of Baal, the Canaanite god. Yeah, I think, like, at least in Diablo, the Blizzard game, that uh, Baal is one of the, like, prime evils, like, one of yeah. the demon lords in that. And that it, that I was saying that it's uh, just, like, it's like Lord from another language, I guess. There's also Mephisto. Do anyone know where that's from? Is it Mephistopolis? Yeah, that's yeah. the one from Forst, isn't it? All I can think about is Mr. Mistopheles from Cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> oh, God. Cats is the only play I've ever seen where I was, like, actively wish I hadn't been there. It's the only one. Really? 
I saw it when I was seven, and it's like burned in my brain as like the most perfect experience. But I know that. Okay, fair enough. And I fully recognize. (laughs) I saw the trailer for the movie, and I couldn't get over that. No, I haven't. I haven't. Like I've decided one of these nights, like the wife and I will probably get drunk enough, and we'll just like try to watch it. Maybe. Terrifying. It's terrifying. I haven't seen it. I've seen the ads, though. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, the fact enough. that one of them wears a fur coat makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? You don't wear the skins of your enemies? <laughs> right? I guess. Any Boltons in the chat? <laughs> no, no Boltons? Okay. Phew. Oh. Uh, also, a fun, a fun fact in uh, Oni, as you know, is like sort of demon-esque thing. In Japanese, if you have like bills or debt in front of the country for Oni, you have tax, tax collector. Uh, so pe- person who ta- collects tasks is basically an Oni, cruel person. <laughs> okay. That's delightful. Verokarhu or the tax bear in Finnish. <laughs> because so it's someone Russian. who. I don't. I think it's just someone who. I mean, there might be a Russian connection, but I think it's just someone who comes and takes his toll and just sort of takes his share and doesn't care what you think about it. Ah, yeah, the, the bear's share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything? Anything else? And oh, shall we wrap this up? So I, I want that wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thank you for joining me on this demon episode of Creature Chat. This has been a very, very interesting discussion, and I will probably listen to it a few times to fully absorb everything I've heard today. And I, as I will probably have to do that as I edit, but <laughs> anyway, yeah. And uh, thank you all for joining me. And anyone like to? mention any future podcast that you've been on or are going to be on or general advertisements here at the end i heard there's a what we do in the shadows one coming out yeah that that, that might be might be on the cutting or <laughs> at the moment but but yeah that that has been recorded and it might come out but it might actually come out after this episode but yeah that's definitely a cool show and People have been excited to talk about that, so there might be an episode on that later on. Also, we might continue the fire and blood on like within the next week, maybe the um, series about that with reread there. And as you might have heard, if if it doesn't get edited out, because and I don't don't blame anyone if you do, uh, Pokemon will probably yeah. be a thing as well. Yes, indeed. Pocket Can monsters we... from yes. Asia. Monsters in the pocket of God. Yep. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, any creature chat teases for future creature chats? The things you have in mind? Mm, well, we haven't really decided on anyone, any ones, but we do have here on the list, we have fairies and giants. Oh, yeah, I think we kind of tentatively decided to do undead after demons so we might do that one next undead is quite a wide category of course and uh, demons was as well and we didn't perhaps fully cover it but i think we did a fair job 
and I guess aliens is one we might do as well. Might do as well, but I think undead is one that's very present in our culture with Walking Dead and zombies everywhere and stuff like that, and and some of the more fantasy oriented ones like wraiths and liches and skeletons and stuff like that as well. Yeah, skeletons are fictional, as you know. We're all just goo. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever think about the fact that we all have a skeleton inside us at all times? We're all oh, so spooky. No, it's not always on the inside. Nope. Exiles must have been so freaky when people first discovered them and like could just see bones underneath. What is this? <laughs> X-ray. Your soul is protruding from your body. Exactly. I don't know. I, I think it's honestly, it's something that every single, like before you got gain consciousness, you would know that bone is inside you. It's like it, there are bones everywhere. Yeah, I think that's true as well, because like if you think about like scarecrows work, like, well, not just scarecrows <laughs> that are shaped like people, but I, it works when you like display a dead animal and other animals of that kind won't come there because they're afraid. So there's some sort of uh, uh, I guess sort of instinct of danger at least and I think we've been sort of like probably cannibalizing each other long since long before we were human beings when when we were apes and lower hominids that so we would probably have been seeing bones all around the place long before we were human beings yeah just like sex I think I think people knew how things went before they like thought about it yeah they knew about that bone yeah <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, that's some of our upcoming programming, I suppose. Look forward to bones and things, I guess. And yeah, fire and blood and bones and bones and zombies and Pokemon, po- pocket monsters and uh, maybe some other creatures as well. Oh yeah, and vampires. Must have bones. This guy. bone has a bone. He does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very though. fucked up. Yeah, fucked up story. He, he literally <laughs> wears his dead mother's skull. So yeah. it's fucked up. He is kind of. They're so cute. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, why? Oh, there's a lot of Pokemon like that. You read the flavor text, and it's like. Yeah, m- most of them are pretty scary. Like, a lot of them are. Like. Yeah, Driftloom, the balloon Pokemon, carries away children. Yeah. Not if I captured first. <laughs> okay, well, thanks all, and I am going to hang up now. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank you, Patrick. Not Patrick. <laughs> Damn it, I did it. I did the thing. Thank you, Peter. I was thinking of Patrick because yeah. of the Pokemon thanks, thing. Oh, thank I'm you. so tired. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Jock, and thank you, Bye. Adam. And have a good night. Thank you, Peter.